flying by, and believe it or not, Easter is only three Sundays away. Do you believe this? Right? Everybody poke your neighbor and say, Easter is only three Sundays away. I, it's coming, people. Do you understand this? Uh, and I hope you're praying, and I hope you're thinking about who you can invite to come with you as we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Any Sunday is a good day to celebrate Jesus and his resurrection. And any Sunday is a good day to invite somebody to come with you to church. Now, we always use God's word as our source, and we often talk about the need for Jesus that every person has. But Easter is one of those days when we give a very clear presentation of the gospel as the main focus of our worship experience. I saw a stat the other day that really blows my mind. Here's what a recent uh, Christian research study said. Over 80% of the people who are asked to come to church by a friend will come. That's a staggering stat. It's really incredible to me. 80%. The main setback we have is that we fail to ask. And so I'm encouraging you to make the big ask over these next couple of weeks. Right, i got to be careful how I said that sentence. I even noted it in my sermon there. Be careful when you read this sentence. <laughs> yeah, some of you didn't get it, and maybe you'll get it later. Um, but these next couple of weeks, we have to be uh, asking people to come and to bring their friends with them on April 16th. It's going to be a great day. If you think about it, uh, bring in some wrapped candy these next couple of Sundays for a giant candy hunt. That takes place right after on April 16th, that day. We've been in a series called Commit in the month of March, and we've talked about commit yourself. Uh, we talked about commit your sorrow. We talked about commit your service. Today, probably our toughest topic. And this may be the toughest top topic, really, that anybody could address. And uh, Jesus even said that it, it's uh, harder for us to deal with this topic than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That is unbelievable, isn't it? Today is commit your stuff. Commit your stuff. We're going to start in Deuteronomy and walk our way through the scriptures on this topic today. So Deuteronomy 26, God's word has a whole lot to say about how to handle stuff. And he has clearly revealed that we can obtain real prosperity by doing the right things with the stuff God's given us. Deuteronomy 26, and if you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to stand one more time as I read there the first 11 verses. And I want you to really grab the context of this and get the heart behind it. So uh, God, yes, he's giving some rules to his people at the time of the law as they go into the promised land. But there's a, there's a heart behind this. There's a reason behind this. Deuteronomy 26. And it shall be, when thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, and possessest it, and dwellest therein, that thou shalt take of the first of all the fruit of the earth, which thou shalt bring of thy land, that the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shall put it in a basket, and shall go into the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name there, and thou shalt go unto the priest that shall be in those days, and say unto him, I profess this day unto the Lord thy God, that I am come unto the country which the Lord sware unto our fathers for to give us. 
And the priest shall take the basket out of thine hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord thy God. And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, A Syrian ready to perish was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there with a few and became there a nation, great, mighty, populous. Talking about the history of how Jacob brought his family down into Egypt. And the, Egypt, the Egyptians evil entreated us and afflicted us and laid upon us hard bondage. And when we cried unto the Lord God of our fathers, the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terribleness and with signs and with wonders. And he hath brought us into this place and hath given us this land, even a land that floweth with milk and honey. Now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land, which thou, O Lord, hast given me, and thou shalt set it before the Lord thy God, and worship before the Lord thy God. And thou shalt rejoice in every good thing which the Lord thy God hath given unto thee, and unto thine house thou, and the Levite, and the stranger that is among you. Today we're talking about commit your stuff. God, I pray that you would bless us this morning as we deal with a topic that many times is hard for us to swallow and it's hard for us to really consider because we, we get wrapped up in the things of this earth. We get wrapped up in the way that we use our time and even the way we use the abilities that you've given us. And I pray that you would help us this morning to have a proper look at what you say about this and help us to be willing by the end of this sermon to once again commit our stuff to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's go back and let's talk about uh, the history of this just for a second. When the Israelites had just escaped from Egypt, kind of referenced there in Deuteronomy 26, God called Moses up to the top of a mountain. Anybody remember the name? little Bible trivia. The name of the mountain where the Ten Commandments were given. Mount Sinai. See, you guys are really on top of things this morning. Way to go. And so the Ten Commandments were going to be given. And, it, and those were given by God on these tables of stone. But at the same time, there were also scores of laws that Moses was supposed to deliver to the people verbally. Instructions on how to live. In Exodus 23, we find that God expected his people to bring the first fruits of their earnings and their land and their flocks before him in worship. In fact, the law of the first fruits became a time for a national feast in Israel. And it was a season of rejoicing and worship where every year they went before God and they said, God, you have done so much for us and we're bringing you the first of this to show you that we recognize them and we recognize that you're our God. So that happened in Exodus, and now in Deuteronomy, Moses is renewing this law with a new generation of people who had not been at Mount Sinai. They're, they're all people who had been born or grown up in the wilderness. He's telling the Israelites what God expects them to do with stuff. Now, there are parts of the Old Testament law that certainly don't have or don't seem to have a whole lot of application for us in 2017. Uh, for instance, how many of you have built a battlement around your roof? Uh, come on, people. 
Do you not believe the Bible to be God's word? Uh, we, should we preach today out of Deuteronomy 22? Let's get those battlements built this week, all right? Don't want anybody to fall off your roof. Uh, okay, uh, how many of you have ever planted different kinds of seeds in the same garden plot? Uh-oh, not good. <laughs> you guys have really broken God's law. Uh, how many of you have ever eaten shrimp? Woo, we're in big trouble now. Uh, how many of you have ever had tassels on any of your clothes? I want you to take the names, take the names right there. Okay, they're in big trouble. So, so there's Old Testament laws, and, and there's a whole bunch of the ceremonial laws. And since there are some of those Old Testament ceremonial laws that don't really cross over into our modern culture, it's easy for some people to think that God's principles regarding stuff aren't really made for modern times. But God is consistent with how stuff should be handled. And in fact, uh, it was modeled before the law was ever given, starting with the sons of Adam and Eve. And you may remember that they got in a big fight about that they brought their first fruits to God. Cain brought the first fruits of the ground, and Abel brought the first lamb out of his flock. And uh, that was the starting place. They had given back to God. It was talked about uh, during the times of the kings. Jesus himself talked about how to handle stuff more than twice as much as he did about heaven and hell. And this morning, I want to walk through God's word with you to discover four important time-tested truths about how and why we commit our stuff to God. And so let's go back to Genesis 14 now. Go back to Genesis 14, and the first part of our message today, and by the way, the notes are in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. First part of our message, give God the first stuff. Give God the first stuff. In this chapter, we find that Abram's nephew, Lot, and a bunch of others had been taken by some bandit kings, and and the kings had come along and ransacked their houses and taken uh, all the people and taken all the goods, all the stuff. And when Abram heard about it, uh, this chapter tells us that he took 318 of his trained servants. Can you imagine the detail of God's word? Uh, Abram took 318 of his trained servants and he went after them. And if you look down at verse 16. It says, and he brought back all the goods, all the stuff, and also brought again his brother Lot and his stuff, his goods, and the women also and the people. All right, so Abram recovered everything, plus some. He got back all the stuff. And there was a king priest that showed up. He was the king of Salem, and his name was Melchizedek, verse number 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which did deliver thine enemies into thy hand. Look at this sentence. And he, Abram, gave him, Melchizedek, tithes of all. Okay, so this is before the law, hundreds of years. 
most commentators believe that Melchizedek was an earthly appearance of Jesus before he came to earth, right? It's, it's called, the theologians call it a theophany, right? You could study this. It's crazy stuff. Just, just Google theophany. Need me to spell it first? Okay. Um, but there, there are commentators who believe that Jesus showed up on the earth as God several times before he came in the manger, and when we get to heaven, I guess we'll find out if it was him or if it was one of his angels or whatever. So Melchizedek. And Abram gave to this priest, to the Most High God, a tenth of all the stuff he had recovered. Let me quickly take you to the other bookend of the Bible, uh, to Hebrews. Now, this is after the law. This is a recollection, a recollection, not a revelation, a recollection of the event. So Hebrews 7. All right, so you go over to Hebrews 7, and you find all this stuff about Melchizedek, and I'll give you some reasons why I think Melchizedek actually is God or is Jesus. And we don't want to get too deep in this, but I'll show you a couple things as we get there. So Hebrews 7. Here we go. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part, of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Now look at the description of Melchizedek in verse 3. And you tell me, we'll do a riddle, okay? You tell me who else fits this description besides God. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Pretty hard to put anybody else in that slot besides Jesus, right? There's nobody else that fits the description. And here's what I want you to get. This is what's so neat about it. When Abraham gave a tenth of all the stuff to Melchizedek, he was giving it directly to God. He was giving it directly to Jesus. And no matter what time period a person has lived in, when they gave out of the heart of worship, they gave it directly to Jesus. In fact, when we give today in 2017, we still bring the offering in to the church, which is the body of Jesus Christ, and we give to Jesus. So we do exactly what Abraham did thousands of years ago. And so here's Abraham, and we're noticing all these great things about him. So Abraham gave this, and he offered this directly to the Most High God, the first tenth of everything he had gained in battle. And this principle will change the way that you look at stuff. This principle of bringing the first part to God. Now, anytime stuff is brought your way, Give God the first fruits. And this is what the Bible calls the tithe or the first tenth. And so this is a biblical principle throughout the scriptures. You go all the way back to Genesis. You go all the way through the New Testament to Hebrews. And you find that it's there. The second part, though, is this. And I want you to note this because this is so intriguing how God brings this out. Honor God with the best stuff. Right? So not just the first stuff. But honor God with the best stuff. 
Let's move to Proverbs. And we're letting our fingers do the walking here this morning. You guys are doing great. Proverbs chapter 3. And in 2017, it's interesting. I don't hear as many pages turning, but I do see people scrolling. Okay, so you guys are keeping up, and that's doing great. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3. Kids don't have to learn the books of the Bible anymore because now they just do it on their phone, and it's in alphabetical order. Right? So they, a lot of kids don't know if it's in the New Testament or the Old Testament. They just know that when you scroll down, it's in the P's. Okay, so we're in Proverbs chapter 3. Now, verse number 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. So honor God with your stuff. Now, when a person has a heart for God, he's not going to bring God the leftovers of the resources he's been given. He's going to bring God the first stuff and the best stuff. Uh, my wife's sister and her husband were missionaries in Taiwan for many years. And they would often receive care packages from churches. And I still remember hearing them tell a story uh, of a care package that they received one year at Christmas. A church had, had been kind and had paid the shipping all the way around the world and sent them a box. But, but inside the box was a package of used tea bags. Used tea bags. Now, now, how important do you feel if somebody gives you his used tea bags? Right? Just think of that one. Uh, that's like saving up your used Kleenexes to give away. Right? I'm not going to go much dirtier than that, but your used Kleenexes, we'll say, to, to give away. And this is the type of kindness that was on display uh, during the Old Testament time, when a guy named Malachi lived. A prophet named Malachi, he lived about 400 years before Christ. And uh, he, he was the last prophet before this 400-year period called the Silent Years. And, uh, and Malachi, and so look at it if you can find it. If you have, once again, the electronic one, it's going to be really easy. It's in the M's. Okay, if you don't, it's the last book of the Old Testament. If you get to Matthew, you've gone too far. Malachi chapter 1, there was a big problem in God's economy. Things were not going well. And we'll tell you why as you get there. I still hear pages. God, God's talking and he's saying a son honors his father and a servant honors his master. And if I'm your father, where's my honor? He said, O oh, priest that despise my name. And you say, where have we despised your name? And now I want you to listen to God's reply. All right, so here it is. It's in verse number seven. You offer polluted bread upon my altar. You say, wherein have we polluted you? And that you say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? God says, these people were bringing moldy bread to offer to God. They were bringing blind and lame and sick sheep to the sacrifice. They were giving God their leftover junk. 
not their best. And if you have ever been to a church garage sale, you know this is still happening, right? People are bringing their three-legged tables. If you ever did that, I'm just, I didn't know you did that. <laughs> Sorry. I just stepped on some toes, apparently. Three-legged table. Uh, they're bringing their chairs that are broken, and, and they're bringing all the stuff that's bad, and the, believe it or not, the jeans that have holes are now popular. Right? I saw a girl the other day, she had a hole from here to here, and she probably paid $80 for the jeans. That doesn't make any sense to me. I'm old, I'm sorry. Um, but they're bringing all this stuff to God, it's broken down, it's left over, it's useless. He said, try bringing that to your governor. Take your governor and bring him a meal and say, Governor, we have brought you a feast of moldy bread and sick sheep. Right? And the governor gets food poisoning and off with your head. Not going to work too well in that economy, but here they are bringing this before God. They're bringing in their junk. And I'm afraid that even in 2017, that sometimes that's how we treat God. Because we give to him last and worst instead of first and best. We should be offering to God the most productive time of our days. We should, in our devotional life, we should offer God the most productive time of our days. We should bring him the best of our schedule. We should bring him the best of our resources. We should bring him the best of our abilities because he is worthy of our honor, as we sang this morning. I want to go further into Proverbs. Let's go to Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27. All right, you guys are doing great. Proverbs 27. And our third part is going to be diligently manage God's stuff. Diligently manage God's stuff. Look at verse number 23. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. Right? So God says the stuff that's been placed in your control the stuff that's been given you to manage, the stuff that I have provided for you to use, I want you to be diligent to know the state of it. You ever try to teach a child responsibility? You know, there are often some frustrating and maybe even some humorous experiences when you do that. You ever had your little boy or girl, Daddy, if you get me a dog... I'll take care of it, I promise. I'll feed it, and I'll give it water, and I'll bathe it, and I'll clean up its mess. Uh-huh. You're just willingly going to do that. Mom, if you get me fingernail polish, I won't play with it. I won't waste it. I won't use it to write my name on things all over the house, including my dog that I was supposed to take care of. Sure you won't. And then they get a little older. Mom and dad, if you let me drive the car, I promise I'll be safe and I'll go the speed limit and I won't do anything stupid. Right. Right, and then you get that phone call at 1130 that night. Dad, sorry, 
I've got something to tell you. How about this one? Dad, if you let me use your tools, I'll put them back where they belong, and I won't lose them or break them or leave them outside to rest down on the driveway. <laughs> this one just cracks me up that I'm even saying it. Can you imagine teaching young people responsibility? And in 2017, it is harder than it's ever been. I'm sure that many of you would agree that it's getting more difficult with every generation to pass on responsible behavior. The entitlement society doesn't care if your stuff gets messed up, right? They don't care. If they're doing a protest and they want to throw a rock through your shop or they want to burn down your building or they want to burn down your car, they don't care. They don't care about other people's stuff. The truth is they don't even take care of their own stuff, and they don't care if it gets messed up. That you owe it to uh, your young people, and we owe it to this generation to teach them some responsibility. We really do. Yeah, but it's hard to teach people with an entitlement mentality much of anything about managing stuff, whether it's public stuff or their boss's stuff or their parents' stuff or especially God's stuff. And even though none of the stuff that you have really belongs to you, you should care for the king's stuff well. See, the king has provided some things that we're supposed to care for, and he wants us to do it well. You know, Joseph in the Old Testament was placed second in command to Pharaoh. You remember Pharaoh, it says, put everything he owned into Joseph's hands. And Joseph had this immense resource that he could manage from. But he managed well because he remembered the whole time, it's not my stuff. It's Pharaoh's stuff. And it may have helped that he remembered what Pharaoh had done with his butler and his baker. And possibly his candlestick maker, but we don't know. That's really not part of the story. Some of you thought it was, and some of you thought that's where it came from. The butler, the baker, the candlestick maker, this is Genesis 45, right? I'm trying to have fun with you, but it's not working. But, but Pharaoh, Pharaoh had all this stuff. Joseph never lost sight of the fact that's Pharaoh's stuff. And he managed it well. And that's what we're supposed to do with the stuff God gives us. Now, the last principle I want you to see this morning, it may be the most powerful principle about stuff that's ever been given. I think it really is. Jesus himself delivered this one, and it's in Luke 12. So I'll let you head that direction. Luke 12, the third gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, verse number 12. And if you get this one, well, you got everything God wants you to get out of the message today. Luke chapter 12. Here's our fourth topic of the sermon. Don't put your identity in stuff. Don't put your identity in stuff. Now, look what Jesus says, Luke 12, verse number 15. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life 
consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. A man's life does not consist of everything that he has. Jesus assures us that the value of a life is never based on the abundance of possessions. And then to illustrate, he gives the story of a certain rich man. And I'm going to read it to you because it's so profound and it's so uh, potent and it's so powerful. Look at verse number 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, could I kindly tell you the only item that makes you or me worth anything? It's the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus Christ covering our sins. Without his blood on the cross, we are worth absolutely nothing. And I don't care what the self-help book told you or what the humanist professor told you or what the therapist told you, Self-esteem does not take away the sin problem. Only Jesus does. Stuff cannot and does not, does not remove eternal condemnation. Only Jesus does. Notoriety and fame cannot deliver you from the pit of hell. Only Jesus can. And if you aren't rich toward God, it won't matter how much stuff you've collected. Being rich toward God comes by kneeling before that bloodstained cross, repenting of your sins, and accepting the gift of eternal life that only Jesus offers. And even after you've received Christ, we all of us, every one of us, we are susceptible to falling for the covetousness trap, that word that the Bible uses, covetousness, which in our language means greed. Right? And, and Paul later told the Colossians that covetousness is idolatry. It's just like getting a piece of wood and carving a head on it and bowing down before it and calling it your God. It's idolatry. And yes, we're supposed to enjoy what God's given us. We're supposed to enjoy God's creation and the, event, uh, the inventions that God has allowed men through knowledge and logic to make. But don't start thinking that your stuff defines you. Because when it comes to the end of your life and your soul passes either to heaven or hell, there's no stuff involved except the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're covered by the blood, you have eternal life. If you are not covered by the blood, you're already condemned to eternal death by your sin. And so Jesus wanted them to have this perspective, and he wants us to have this perspective, that being rich toward God is of the greatest value 
of anything on this earth. Here's today's big truth. A reluctance to commit stuff to God is the first sign of a rebellious heart. Now, you might not like what I'm about to say, but it's, it's straight from the biblical principles that we've reviewed this morning, okay? And so if you get mad, get mad at God, not me. All right, just kind of a forewarning. All right, you ready? Here it comes. Here, this is the way it's coming. If you refuse to honor God with your stuff, then you can't be right with God. Uh, it's just really quiet right now. Yeah, really quiet. Um, it, it's true. Now, you can tell yourself that you're right with God, but God's word's clear. It's easy to offer false narratives to ourselves when it comes to stuff. And we, re- we do it all the time. I really need this stuff. Whether that's a, a Slurpee or a steak or a Chick-fil-A sandwich or a vehicle or whatever it is. I really need this stuff. And we talk ourselves into it. We've got these false narratives. I can't do without this stuff. Uh, this stuff will help me become a better person. I don't have enough stuff to give anything back to God. Well, God knows that I care about him. Well, actually, Jesus said it this way. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And if you say you love God, but you're not willing to give him anything, then you are a <gasps> liar. Sorry. God's the one who said it. Read First John 1. He said, you're a liar. If we love God and we say we care about him, but we're not willing to give anything to him, our time, our abilities, our efforts, our resources, then we don't really love him. We are Christians in name only. We don't really care about him. Can you imagine a relationship where nobody gives to each other? Do those relationships last? No, they're horrible. They stink. Because one person thinks, you know what? I'm the only one putting anything into this relationship. And the other person says, you know what? You may be right. Or however it works. But I'll tell you this. When we don't invest in relationships, they don't work. And when we don't invest in our relationship with God... It doesn't work. How we handle stuff is a major indicator of our hearts. Our life group dealt with this topic this morning. One of the questions was this. What is the cure for a heart of greed? We talked about greed because greed is is so profound because nobody, I'm telling you, nobody walks up to you and says, you know what? I'm greedy. Nobody does that. Right? Now, people tell you all things they struggle with. You know what? I'm a chocolate person, or whatever they say, right? I'm a chocolate addict, right? Or I, I like sugar, 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 right? Or I like Skittles, or whatever it is. And uh, by the way, don't ever give my wife anything with Red 40 in it. For some reason, it makes her into this uncontrollable child. 
I found that out many, many years ago, and I've tried to, my best not to ever give her anything with Red 40. She gets giddy, like in seconds. She's a Red 40 freak, <laughs> right? She's not in here, so I can say all this stuff. Nobody, hey, let's keep it our secret, okay? You don't have to say anything about it. Uh, we all have hang-ups, though, and we're willing to tell you hang-ups, right? Uh, my name's Bob, and I'm this, right? We'd go to the 12-step program, uh, program, and I struggle with this, I struggle with this. Not anybody. Is there greedy anonymous? No, because no one will admit they're greedy. We can see it in other people like we can see it in our brother-in-law. That guy's a stingy skin flint. He never wants to give anything away. We can see it in our boss. We can see it at the guy down the street, but we don't see it in ourselves. And greed wraps its tentacles around our heart, and we say things like, I'm thrifty, or I'm careful, or I want to prepare for my family. And what it really is, is I refuse to honor God with my substance. Oh, just, it got even more quiet. I'm distressed by the end of this message, really. We, we, had, we were going so good. Everybody was smiling. Everybody was happy. We were right on the same page. And then when I got to this part where you can't be right with God if you don't give to God, it just, we fell apart. God really, truly wants us to honor him with our stuff. And it's not because God needs stuff. It's because our hearts need God. It's because if we don't honor him, we start thinking it belongs to us. And we start thinking that this is all there is and there's nothing past this. And so today's faith challenge. Why am I hesitant to give God rightful control of stuff? It's a fair question. And it, it, when I say stuff, we're talking about the whole gamut. Anything on this earth that we get wrapped up in. Why is it that my heart is hesitant to give God control? And, and these are questions really that I hope you'll ask yourself. Am I afraid that God doesn't have my best interests in mind when it comes to stuff? You know, that's the question that sent Eve towards sin. Because the, the serpent came to her and said, you think God really has your best interests in mind? And she got to thinking, well, I'm not sure he does. He doesn't want me to have this stuff. She took a bite. And Adam willingly took a bite. He willfully was disobedient. Why is that? How about this question? Am I afraid that I won't have enough if I give? That's a faith problem, isn't it? Am I afraid I won't have enough if I give? Remember the widow who came to the treasury and gave two mites? Study Bible says it's worth 1.4 cents. She gave 1.4 cents. And Jesus said she gave more than everybody. The disciples were like, what? Are there guys bringing bags of money in? Plopping it in and beating their chest because they gave so much money. And Jesus said the widow gave more than they all gave. Like, why? And Jesus said because she gave everything she had. She released everything she had because she trusted that God would provide again. That's another huge question. How about this one? Am I afraid of losing control? 
Now, we are control freaks, aren't we? Yeah, Emma, here's, here's another question. And once again, maybe you may not like the way I phrase this one. Am I just a disobedient Christian who has no interest in following Jesus? Hopefully no one has tomatoes out there that you're about to throw at me because that was a tough question. Am I just a disobedient Christian who has no interest in following Jesus? Is my heart really inside saying, you know what, Jesus, I don't care what you said. If that's the case, I hope you'll check your heart to see if Jesus is really in there. Because that's just a, not a good thing for our faith. Look, I don't know the answer to these questions for you. Here's what I know. I know that sometimes I struggle with giving God first. Okay, especially when it comes to my time. Uh, sometimes I struggle with honoring God with my best. And, and I want to be a good manager of what God's entrusted me. But you know, it's easy to get wrapped up in stuff. Even to the point where I begin to feel like it's part of my identity. Now, those are my struggles. Maybe you have some struggles too. And I, I want to take a moment today and let's commit our stuff to God. It starts in the heart to be willing and to say, God, you know what? I'm going to honor you with my resources. I'm going to honor you with my time. I'm going to honor you with the gifts and the abilities you've given me. I'm going to honor you with the effort that I make. Everything that I do, whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I want to glorify you. That should be the prayer of our hearts. And I hope that's your prayer this morning as we finish. Let's pray together.